0: I am a Republican woman candidate who got pigeonholed in the last election because my Democrat male opponent only wanted to talk about reproductive rights. And I truly believe that all issues are women's issues. Everything that you just went through, it is not solely a man's issue. Everything that impacts our world impacts women. Women make 85% of consumer decisions in the United States. Of course, every issue is a woman's issue.
1: Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nasor, and this show is here to support your interest in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate and if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello, this is Jennifer Nassar, and welcome to Political Contessa. Today, I'm so excited to have a friend of mine from the exact opposite coast, but also a super blue state, June Cutter. June and I actually met through Women's Public Leadership Network as we run our own state organizations um, in incredibly blue states, but June and I also intersect on other really incredible things. One, both as moms, and we each have a child around the same age, and two, both women who are in this business who not just only try to always get women to run for office, but we have actually done it ourselves. And excitingly, June is running for the California State Assembly this year to be a real voice in the community up in Sacramento, California, which by the way, is a crazy big state. And for those of us in much tinier states, You could put like, um, I think you could put almost 10 Massachusetts in California. Um, And she is an accomplished attorney and a small business owner. June's community involvement began at the local elementary school, where she served as president of the Parent Teacher Association from 2018 to 2020. She currently serves as the president of the statewide California Women's Leadership Association, which helps women launch as leaders in politics, government, and within the community, which is exactly what Pocketbook Project does here on the East Coast. June is also the daughter of Korean immigrants, and she was born and raised in Southern California. And I am so jealous because if I could actually move anywhere and the tax rate was better, I would totally move to Southern California, but (laughs) it would be like just moving to a warmer version of Massachusetts. (laughs) Um, But I have June on today because not only is she running, which I think is so, so important for women and right now in election season, in this time of getting papers together and Primaries are different all over the country. Here on the East Coast, ours are much later. They're after Labor Day, which is totally crazy. Um, But it's an exciting time of year to get women out there running for office, interested in talking about what is going on in this crazy and getting even crazier world. Um, And it's really nice to have other women who have not just run, but have been on the front lines of campaigns have encouraged other women to run, know what it's like to fundraise and fundraise for others and to get those grassroots up and growing and helping out. So June,
0: thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I can't believe your primaries are in September. That's insane. (laughs) Isn't that crazy?
1: I mean, and you know, it would be fine if, that meant that we could raise oodles of money like you guys can over on the West Coast. However, our uh, limits are only a thousand dollars. And so it's not even like, yay, we have all this time, we can raise all this money. (laughs) So it just, it's basically like sticking bamboo sheets under your fingernails. That's
0: terrible. And I just don't understand how you could be in a primary in like September and then do the general in November. It seems like that's Absolutely no time, but um, we have a primary coming up on June 7th, so it's right around the corner. California is an interesting place. Our gubernatorial limits, I think, are like $32,000, and our statewide races have $4,900 limits, so um, we have a lot of sunshine and a lot of political money swirling around here in California.
1: All right. Maybe I'm rethinking. I might come out there. <laughs> I, might, I might be packing it up.
0: <laughs> highest income tax in the nation. Highest corporate tax in the nation. So um, we definitely pay the sunshine tax here in the Golden State.
1: Yeah, it's, un- it's unfortunate. Well, that's what you get with um, hypocritical democratic rule in a state like California, you know, they don't have to wear masks when they go to dinner, when they go do things and they go to sporting events, but everyone else needs to be held to a different standard. <laughs> um, you know, it's like <laughs> pay, paying Russia to get our our oil and our gas, <laughs> hmm, here's a good idea. Why don't we actually um, teach people history and the history of the superpowers and what it was like, you know, way back when during the Cold War, um, when we were kids and, you know, you got to actually feel like Russia was a threat and then maybe we wouldn't be in bed with them buying oil and gas and we wouldn't be in the situation we're in today. Um, but right, that, but so- the oil
0: and gas issue is actually a big deal out here in California because we import about 75% of our oil Um, Even though we have the capability to produce more in our state, the regulations that the Sacramento Democrats have placed on the oil industry have made it virtually impossible to produce homegrown uh, oil and gas, even though we have those natural resources. And instead, we're paying countries like Saudi Arabia and Russia and all of those places where gas isn't produced as cleanly, but for the sake of the environment we are getting our gas from overseas.
1: Right, but apparently the smog in China doesn't cross the borders of China, right? It just stays (laughs) there and it doesn't do anything. It's like they've got their own separate ozone. (laughs) <laughs> so it doesn't affect any of us. So that's a good thing. I mean, that's definitely positive. You yeah, know, and, and all of the the you meant you, the uh, the the um, travesties that go on right in Venezuela and um, how they treat women over in the Middle East, and that's totally okay. We should totally give them more money.
0: Right, slave labor in China, um, gross abuses of women um, in all of the places that we are buying this oil from, but it's clean in California. So we're fine. <laughs> oh boy.
1: You know, if we only could get together and solve all of the problems in the entire world, we could do a podcast for maybe a day or two. And then <laughs> we'd have all of the answers, solve all the problems. And, Oh, I know what it is. We are women. We are lawyers. We are in politics and we actually have our ears in the communities, right, uh, that we right. live in and we talk to other people and don't just live in a dome and never leave. Maybe that's I part mean, of it.
0: I think that we need to do a better job um, educating the public about what's going on and not just attacking um, the talking points from the left, but giving people like the backstory and the history and other viable solutions. And problems like um, oil and the environment and things that are normally portrayed as uh, Democrat talking points and things that Republicans don't care about. I think we need to change that narrative. And women have such a great platform um, on which to change it.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we we agree um, on the basis of our work and, and what we have seen and what we've been doing. And on so many different things. And I think one of the things that you and I totally agree on is the fact that there is such a narrative painted by the media and by the left that we women are only concerned about reproductive rights and we have nothing else on our mind. And we're only going to vote based on that. Whereas if you look at what's going on today, You know, whether you have kids or you don't have kids, you're taking care of an elderly family member, you have, you know, a a neighbor that you're taking care of, you go to the food store and it feels like you're getting raped every single time you go in there or robbed because they are stealing money every time you go in because you buy six things and now it costs a hundred dollars and you walk out and you realize that you forgot something else. And it now costs you another $25 just to walk in. They should just start charging cover fees. Every time you walk into the grocery store, you go to get gas, forget it. Right. I mean, you guys, it's a lot more out there than it is out here. I think it's an extra dollar more out there than it is here. You know, every time you go and get gas, Well, you know, if you have to drive to work, which so many of us are back to work outside the house, you take your kids to school, you have to do, you know, you have to take your kids wherever they go, you have to take an elderly family member to the doctor, suddenly every week it's costing you more and more and more money. And no one has seemed to care about that, but we should be concerned about only what the Supreme Court is doing on states' rights on, the, the, on that issue, right? In the meantime, I'm looking at it saying, I'm really concerned about my wallet. I'm really concerned about today because tomorrow is like a whole 24 hours away and I don't know what's going to happen. But I think that what COVID taught so many of us being at home and working from home was one we're paying more attention to what we're spending we're paying we're feeding our families more because the kids were at home a lot more. Um, then you see inflation up 40-year high on inflation you see the Dow takes dives every other day of you know 500 800 points and you you know watch your retirement blow potentially blow up. Um, And I think that there are so many other issues. I mean, you look at what's going on in Ukraine and say, you know, the humanitarian crisis that's going on. Why should a little girl who is wearing her little unicorn pajamas die with a torpedo going through her home? Why are families being separated and the men going back to fight in war? Why are grandmothers and grandfathers sitting in basements that are just crawl spaces to protect themselves as they hear the the sirens on at night? And you see everything going on and say, I think that we need a different messaging machine, right? I think we need we need someone else to say, hang on a second. There's a lot more at play here, like having to explain to our fourth graders what the heck is going on in the world.
0: Right, well- you know, I am a Republican woman candidate who got pigeonholed in the last election because my Democrat male opponent only wanted to talk about reproductive rights. And I truly believe that all issues are women's issues. Everything that you just went through, it is not solely a man's issue. Everything that impacts our world impacts women. Women make 85% of consumer decisions in the United States. Of course, every issue is a woman's issue. Um, even if you think about like a uh, typically male product like a car, 65% of cars are purchased by women. So truly, Everything comes back to us, and we need to do a better job of taking hold of the narrative and making sure that our communities hear our message, that we are not going to just talk about that one thing. We are not going to just talk about reproductive rights. We want to talk about everything. We want a seat at the table to talk about our economy, to talk about the environment, to talk about education, to talk about foreign affairs. We are invested in it all, and we deserve to have a say.
1: Hallelujah. I I, mean, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I have three daughters. It's like, you know, we, we sit there and we talk about every single issue under the sun and, you know, they range in age from 10 to 18. And we talk about Ukraine and we talk about what's going on. We talk about, you know, my oldest put gas in her car the other day. She said it cost her $90 to put in gas. I kind of maybe wonder who actually paid for that gas, whether it was her or me. Um, (laughs) However, she claims it was her, (laughs) so I'll I'll let her have it for purposes of the podcast. Um, So you know, every single day we are experiencing what real life is, right? And we are talking to other people in our community and. Whether that's getting into an Uber and talking to or getting into a taxi and talking to the driver about what it's like these days, whether it's seeing, um, you know, the housing market, how crazy it has gotten, whether you live in the city or you live in a rural or suburban community, Um, but just the price of everything. I went to go look for a new car and the prices are up 20% from when I went to go look three years ago. And so, you know, every single day, but if you're not listening, if you're not talking to other people, if you're not having those conversations with your kids, then we're never going to change the narrative, right? We're never going to expand and say, You know, there are so many other things you need to be concerned with, and that is the economy and it is foreign policy. And even though it might seem so scary if you say finance, it's not because it's it's actually a tangible thing that you deal with every single day.
0: Right. So I think that we all tend to live in our own individual bubbles. And we've brought people into our bubbles who think like us, prioritize the same things as us. And um, we're all very kind of homogenous in our own little bubbles. And living day to day, um, putting food on the table, paying our bills, filling up our tanks, we forget to look outside our bubble. And um, I think that's one of the problems we have that are amplified with like social media because like your social media bubble is even stronger than like your real life bubble right so how do we break through people's bubbles like how do we poke a hole in the bubble and wake people up to understand that there are things going out on outside Um, of your little self-constructed world. And we need to pay attention because I think a lot of the social problems that we see now, the cultural problems, the economic problems, everything that we kind of wonder, like how did we get here in America? It's because people weren't paying attention. They were building their own bubbles.
1: Yep. I mean, well, okay. So for example, like you look at New York City, you look at the progressive DAs that have been elected because why? you know this answer and I know this answer because turnout is so disgustingly low on local elections. No one pays attention and someone walks in and no one checked their qualifications. No one checked their rhetoric and, you know, any of their social media postings or anything that they followed. And now we have these super liberal progressive district attorneys. You guys have one in LA. There's one in, um, in New York, there's, uh, Boston just got rid of ours. Now she's our U S attorney. And (laughs) so, yay, we just, we just promoted her. Um, and so you have these progressive DAs that are, you know, All about bail reform, which bail reform is one thing. But as a lawyer, I mean, you know, you actually got rid of it. You got rid of bail at at all. And you set criminals on the street. And now we have people running around New York City subways putting feces in people's faces and in their hair. We have little kids getting sucker punched. We have women pushing baby strollers who are getting robbed. You know, they're, they're feeling intimidated. And so, and again, going to your point about the bubble, well, these people are elected, but, you know, I know in, in Massachusetts, in Boston, in our recent mayoral election, 25% of registered voters in the city of Boston decided down from five candidates decided the top two, 25%. So 25% wow. essentially decided the election for a major metropolitan city in the United States.
0: That's crazy. It's but I totally believe it because it's true. It's um, funny that you mention the DA's race because I first got... I guess I was always kind of peripherally interested. I was always a pretty political kid, and I would make calls for congressional members during the election and just kind of had like one toe dipped in. But I became fully involved um, and started donating to campaigns and um, getting more involved with um, California Women's Leadership Association because in San Diego, we had our district attorney being challenged by a progressive Soros funded um, criminal justice reformist. And as a mom of two kids, I could not sit idly by and let that happen. Luckily, um, our district attorney was elected or reelected and um, San Diego still remains one of the greatest places, at least here in California. And I would say she's one of the greatest district attorneys we have across the nation. But um, it was so important to me. But I think it's because I am a lawyer and I understood how the system worked. And I had friends who worked in the district attorney's office. I'm sure that the mom down the street or um, the dad at pickup at school wasn't paying as close attention to that race as I was. But then you look at places like LA and I'm sure there are families living in LA County wondering how the heck did we get here? And they probably didn't vote.
1: Right. right. And they're sitting there going, wait a second, our streets are less safe. We now feel like we can't go out. We, our liberties are being taken away from us. Right. And, and why? Well, you guys, I mean, if you sit back and you don't vote, you are just as liable and culpable and responsible for that person being in office as if you voted for them. And so, because you did nothing and and you almost lose your right to complain. And the only thing you could do is get involved and make sure that that person doesn't get elected the next time and not just throw up your hands and say, okay, I guess this is just the way it's going to be. Right. (laughs) Which, I mean, I feel like I hear that a lot. Oh, you know, well, we just live in a liberal state and that's just what it is. Like, You know, you need to get in the castle. You need those good candidates. You need people like you, June, who are running, who are going to, I always said as when I chaired the Mass GOP, and this is one of my things that I say still, you know, you can't fight a war outside of the castle where there are the snapping crocodiles, you know, and and the moat gate is up, like there's no war. (laughs) You're just annoying, you're just protesters, right? Like in order to actually make any changes, you need that moat gate to come down you need to go inside and have a conversation and be able to change things from the inside and so in order to do that we need reasonable people who are going to be elected to office who have really solid messaging and aren't going to be on the fringes like we have you know on the left is AOC and Ilhan Omar and on the right marjorie taylor green and lauren Boebert, right we, i mean that's what you get when you just want twitter sensations instead of having reasonable people having reasonable travel browsers
0: i <laughs> so you recently used that word with me and i was like oh that's such a great word right? it's an right. old school <laughs> <life>. it's true
1: <laughs> it's so true
0: it's interesting i think um it will be interesting to see in California, such a blue state, um, what will happen, like when will the pendulum swing back? And I have faith that it will be 2022 um, that we'll start seeing people kind of have the election be a referendum on the horrible policies that lock down our schools, that um, made everyone move out of the state. We lost a congressional seat. Um, our taxes are sky high. Our gas is like $7 a gallon here right now. It is insane. So I think that, um, a great social experiment or like just, you know, to observe what's going to happen a because COVID has woken a lot of people up, but these failed pandemic policies have, um, made a lot of people aware of the importance of local governments and state government. So will that charge them up to vote this year? And in California, we now have permanent mail-in ballots. Every single person gets a ballot. So will we see an increase in turnout? I mean, midterms are typically very low turnout. And um, I think that there will be some impact by putting the mail-in ballots out there, but I'm not 100% Convinced that people aren't just going to let it sit on their kitchen counters and not mail it back in.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think um, I, I look at the mail in ballots and I, it, may, it might not actually serve the purpose I think that the left was hoping that it would serve um, because I think most normal people are so used to letting their mail stack up. <laughs> right? Or just toss it and get rid of it. Like, oh, this has been sitting here for so long. I'll go get another one. I'll call in. I'll do whatever. I'll go vote. Um, so, I mean, I just think that there's such a lack of engagement, unfortunately, in um, civics. And I think that the there is a total lack of, civ- of civil discourse and respect for people. And so it's kind of like, unless someone's reminding you of it, um, I, I think, well, we'll see what happens, but hopefully it doesn't swing the pendulum, you know, all the way to the left, because at the end of the day, in order to have a true democracy, you need both parties. And you might not like Marjorie Taylor Greene, and you may not like AOC. I don't like either, um, but, <laughs> but it, it, you know, you need to have a two party system and and have those voices who can actually collaborate and actually come to negotiations and have those conversations and, and really be able to implement good policy for all of us?
0: I think the vast majority of people, I would say like 60% of people don't want the f- extreme on either side. We're all very content in the middle. We might have differences. Some sway a little more to the left, some sway more to the right. But we have, by and large, more in common with one another than not but um that's not fun to talk about or report about so no no not
1: not no not at all i mean it's not sexy right it it like misses the sex appeal when it comes to political news you want to have the crazies on their side
0: now i would love to be a common sense representative for the vast majority of the people and talk about bringing our communities together that is not as exciting
1: (laughs) (laughs) it is not i mean it seems totally rational and normal and um i think you should be elected to congress based on that but um you know it it doesn't sell papers right it doesn't sell it doesn't sell hits on uh on on you know news feeds so okay i'm going to give you a trick question because this is one of the things that i always kind of go back to so we, you and I, talk about the importance of electing more women, right? Because the numbers are the numbers. I mean, we've gone 22 years since the first wave of women were really elected in the 1990s. And um, we have only ticked up 3%, maybe it's 4% at this point. I mean, and that is our numbers are still in the 20s in Congress, in all of our legislatures, and in most city halls. And so with that, and the importance of electing women, because we do, women as a gender, represent over fa- half of the population. Um, then we have the squad on one side and the, I don't even know what called them, on the other side, right? And so you've got the, again, the Lauren Boberts and Audrey Taylor Greens, and I'm sorry if you love either of them, then you should find a different podcast. This is not <laughs> same if you love aoc and presley and the rest of them go somewhere else um i don't and i have no appreciation for them because i don't think that they help our democracy at all so you know with that though every time i'm looking for good solid normal women who are going to have a strong message of i'm going there to help our communities right to be a voice to actually do what you're elected to do which is be the representative elected as their voice. Whether you agree it with folks or not, it is your job as an elected official doing your public service to listen to all sides. How do we get more women interested in running for office that are like us, that really want to go and really want to help our communities when all that gets picked up is the craziness
0: on either side? That is like the million sure. dollar question <laughs> that nobody can answer. Um, <laughs> For me, I think that um, we lead by example. I think that at least um, in my sphere, there have been women who probably didn't think about running for office before, but following me on social media, volunteering on my campaign, it's become more of a possibility. They might not be 100% ready to do it right now. But they see that you don't have to be a political operative or you don't have to start when you're 20 and you can be a mom serving on the PTA in your local community and make that leap. I think that it is um, a really hard job to run for office. Um, It takes a lot of sacrifice and a lot of time. So women um, who are our age, busy running, um, running their households, working their job, raising their kids, it seems daunting. And um, sometimes it does take that like kind of extreme personality to be like, I'm just gonna go and do it and set everything aside. But normal everyday people, it's a really daunting lift. So if we can show them by example, that it's doable, I think that's probably the best way to go about getting more regular, common sense women to run for office.
1: And and I think it also goes to exactly why California Women's Leadership exists, why Pockbook Project exists, right, is because we are the support systems to be able to say, you know, look, it's not just us who have run before, but we have members of our boards, we have folks that we surround ourselves with that are operatives that have run for office, that have worked on campaigns, and they have done this before, right? They're the moms, they they are the women who have had parents who have been sickly that they've had to take care of, um, you know, or they're giving their neighbor a ride to, you know, wherever they have to go. And so I think that is also super important to have, to know who to go to because, you guys, I think have a much better, or I know you have a much better um, state Republican Party than we do because we definitely have the worst state Republican Party in the country. Um, and again, if you like the maps GOP, go away. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it is actually terrible. Um, and I think he's just trying to sink the ship, which you know some of us are waiting for that to happen so we could rebuild it again. But you know, if you do have a functioning state party. Um, It's, I think, really helpful that you have that as a resource. But, you know, in a state like California, where you're just so big, it's hard to figure out who the right people are to go to because, you know, if, if you have a county structure, that's great, but sometimes it's just really insular. So you need the outside groups as well. Um, but it is, I think it's like, a, it's a trick question. It's the million dollar question. And it's it's a lot to say, and and we see it all the time, right? I think it's easier for women who are older And their kids aren't grown, and maybe they don't have the responsibility of a mom and dad anymore, and they can just do what they need to do. I also think it's easier for younger women who are just starting out to do this with the support of their family and of their friends who may not be as bogged down. And I think it's so much harder for women who have kids to do, but we need them because, and we, you know, I, I mean, I want women of all ages and all walks of life, because I think that that experience all adds into something that's so, so valuable. I mean, I when so when I was chair of, and I may have told you this already when I chaired the mass GOP, um, my staff gave me a gavel. And so that was the worst thing I could have gotten was a gavel because (laughs) then I used to walk around and slam it (laughs) On the desks of rowdy state committee members (laughs) that weren't listening, and people who were standing in the back of the room, and anyone that was booing, it was great because you know it was the hey, I'm and I would say I'm a mom. I put my kids in timeout all the time. I have no problem sending you out of the room, putting you in timeout. It was like, that's actually a really helpful skill. That mom (laughs) voice, that very serious. I am not joking anymore. I mean, and everyone kind of comes to attention and sits there like, like they either think you're crazy or they think that their mom is up there talking to them.
0: So I think one of the greatest things that the California GOP has going for it is an amazing female chairwoman, who's a mom, much like yourself. And she um, is really doing the most phenomenal job running our state party. And we are just so blessed to have her as our chairwoman of our party. And um, I'm also really lucky to be in San Diego because we have one of the best county parties in the state and we are now run by a woman too. So-
1: I love it. (laughs)
0: You know, it's funny to think that, or I guess it's terrifying too, if you really want to be honest about it, Um, California Women's Leadership Association was started 28 years ago because of the exact problem we're talking about today. Where can moms, where can women, conservative women go? Because, um... Democrat women have plenty of resources. And if you're a woman running for office, everyone just assumes you're a Democrat. And there's all this money out there and all these resources out there, but not so much on the right. So 28 years ago, um, Senator Pat Bates and Congresswoman Mimi Walters and their eight friends were sitting around thinking the exact same thing that we're thinking now. And we've done a great job building our organization over the last 28 years, but the same problems still exist. Somebody asked one of them, why don't you just stay at home and raise your kids and not run for city council? Mm -hmm. And that's why California Women's Leadership Association was born. Guess what? When I said I was going to run for office in 2019, somebody also asked me, why don't I just stay home with my kids? And why would I want to run for office? So um, it feels like we've made a lot of progress. But in many ways, we haven't gotten very far in the last three decades.
1: No, which is really unfortunate. And, you know, I I always do this with um, candidates that I talk to through Pocketbook Project is, you know, we are going to help train you to give you all the tools that you need. But the one thing I can give you specifically from me is the support of being able to share those crazy stories with you because I'm sure you're listening saying, Oh, no one actually said that in 2019. Well, in 2010, when I was chairing mass GOP, I got the same exact thing. Who is home with your children? Yep. And it, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I just looked and I finally looked at the woman and it was a woman, by the way, <laughs> that asked the question, not even a guy. It was an, a woman about 15 years older than me. And I said, interesting. You should ask that. My husband, goes to work every single day. He travels four nights a week. I am positive. No one has ever, ever asked him who's watching his kids while he's away. So I'm not responding and I just let it go. And I consistently am sharing that with female candidates. Don't go down the rabbit hole, right? Don't go down the rabbit hole of, are you married? Do you have children? Like it is, if if I wanted to tell you it's on my campaign website and it's in my literature, it's actually, I don't know why I have to, I have to inform you about my personal life because are you asking the guys that? And there's never the conversation with the guys. It's, wow, you're very qualified. You're very well-spoken. That's a really, you know, you look rugged, right? Like we don't <laughs> We get none of that. It's like, we're judged for how we look when I was running. I I don't know if you've had any of these um, conversations and this goes, this goes down like a totally different path, but it's actually kind of funny when I was running for office, I was out one day and it was maybe like early April, maybe it was May. It was, it was a warmer day and I was wearing a, like a, a sleeveless blouse, and a cute pair of jeans, they were ripped jeans, and a pair of flats, and so, and I'm running around, I'm running for city council, Boston city council, so I'm running 11 miles a day, I'm walking from one end of the district to the other, I think I look like a ragamuffin, like I think I am just sweaty, gross, exhausted, disgusting, right, and my friend sees me on the street, and she says, you look too cute. (laughs) It's like, I, I feel like I smell (laughs) I feel like I need a shower. What do you mean? And she pointed out how my opponent, who is another woman, um, basically wore clothes out of her grandmother's closet. And I said, it doesn't like, I I wouldn't even know where to shop for stuff like that. I wouldn't feel comfortable. This is just kind of my look, but I had these campaign t-shirts made and they had my name on them and they were bright yellow. And I gave them out to all of my mom friends. And I, and, they gave, and I had smaller ones made for all of the kids. And then every time I was campaigning, I wore one of my t-shirts and everyone around me was wearing my t-shirt. And all of a sudden it was like, the clothing thing was off the table. I had my name plastered everywhere throughout the district. And it was really cool when I would walk around and see like a bunch of people in my t-shirts and just take pictures of them. But that is an actual real thing for women candidates too, right? It's not just who's taking care of your kids. Why do you think that you should do this? You know, all of the other levels of harassment, but it's also, why are you dressed that way? Are you actually wearing that? Whereas no one cares. Like the guy could literally walk out of men's warehouse in a suit that's four times too big, (laughs) covering their fingertips. And it is, wow, he gave the best speech ever.
0: Right. Well, you know, I've gone back and forth in my head a lot about appearance and femininity and how I should dress and how I should appear. And over the last um, several years, I've just decided I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to be me. I'm going to wear, um, what I want to wear. I don't have to wear a suit. I don't have to wear like a shift dress. I can just be who I want to be. And I don't have to change who I am because the whole point of me running is to be my genuine self. And yeah, sure. You know, it was recently this election cycle, um, I'm also running against a primary challenger who's female. And a question was brought up of, do people favor me because I'm prettier? (laughs) And of course, this was raised by a man. (laughs) But it's 2022. And these are still the questions we get as female candidates. But I am of the belief that we do not change ourselves. We do not masculinize ourselves because... We want to play a role. I don't want to play a male candidate. I want to be a female candidate and be elected because of all of the things that comprise who I am. And my femininity is part of it.
1: Absolutely. The best thing that I had when I was doing debates, like I said, you know, my friend had made this comment. And um, I am a frequent, like, I love, love, love leather leggings because they're just really super comfortable. And I'm a kid who grew up in the eighties with like, you know, um, stirrup pants. And so, you know, leather leggings are great. They move around with you and you could throw on a blazer and you look polished. And I'm sitting there in my leather leggings and my knee boots. (laughs) And my campaign manager was like, It is. Wow. Like there's such a difference, right? But that's how I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable in jeans and a blazer. I'm comfortable just looking like, you know, myself. And that's what I had said to my friend was like, you know, I look cute. I feel gross. I feel disgusting. (laughs) But like, I don't know, like if I dressed any other way other than myself, which is either being a wise ass and sticking a bunch of bright yellow shirts on everyone around and having my name out there or wearing my leather leggings, like I need to feel comfortable because otherwise, how do you give a speech? How do you walk into a room? How do you, all those other things that we have to do as candidates, but not only as a candidate, if you're the fundraiser, if you're the one hosting an event, right? If you're the operative, you're, you're the campaign manager in introducing your candidate to a bunch of people that they haven't met before, You have to have that pride in, you know, who you are and you shouldn't run for office really if you're going to have, oh God, and God forbid you have like consultants around that say you should just change everything about you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, my consultant the other day did say not everything can be pink.
1: (laughs) I love pink though.
0: (laughs) I'm like, why not? (laughs) Um, you know, I think that when you try to build some kind of facade for yourself, eventually, if it's not genuine, it is going to crumble and fall apart. So I've always been an open book. I've always, um, prided myself on being honest and truthful and forthcoming. And I think that that is the best way to operate as first as a human being, but as a candidate, because If your whole campaign is built on something that is not genuine, it will fall apart.
1: Absolutely. So that's a great segue, June. So you're running for the 76th um, Assembly District in California. Um, So what if you were letting anyone know about you? Um, And I always like to make plugs for money for candidates because, you know, I think that that is super, super important. No dollar is too small or too large, but no dollar is too small. Um, So I always love to make a plug. So I want you to, you know, go through your website and everything, even though I have it committed to memory. Um, And, but tell just, you know, a, a minute on what are you going to do as a... Woman, mother, wife, um, intelligent, what are you going to do when you get to the assembly? How are you going to change the world for your community and make it better?
0: well i'll make my community better because i will not stand for politics as usual and i will not be purchased by special interests and i'm going to go to sacramento and be a voice for all the mama bears out there and for middle class families to make sure that um, our well i believe everybody's top three priorities for by and large are which are exceptional education safe neighborhoods and the ability to prosper We all want to make sure that our next generation is going to have a beautiful golden state to live in. And we need more people like me running for office to make that happen and ensure that that is a possibility. Um, I had a gentleman send me a dollar bill every month in the mail. So it truly is no amount is too small. Um, And my website is junecutter.com and the donate button is pink.
1: <laughs> and you make it so easy. I love that. It's just your name com and simple. Yeah. And the donate button is right there. And what I love about what you just said was that it's not political. It's, it's not going to, um, take anyone out. It's not going to be the rebel rouser. It's not going to be clickbait. It's you're you actually want to go to make the community better And there's nothing political about that. And I hope that people start voting based off of what they know about candidates instead of looking at the letter next to their name. Um, And I don't know if you remember seeing this or if you watched Will and Grace back in the day, but- Love um, Will and Grace. Okay, so (laughs) this is one of my favorite episodes of Will and Grace. And maybe because, you know, being a political geek, this like just goes really deep down to my heart But Will found a candidate who was another gay guy who, you know, he was like, he's gay. And Grace said, well, what else do you know? He's like, he's gay. Great. And so she was like, okay. And so she she said, I found a candidate. And he said, well, you know, why do you like your candidate? She's like, he's black. (laughs) And So he's like, and? And she's like, he's a black man. And so they both ended up having an event at the same time. Both of their candidates get up each of their candidates were the complete opposite of what they (laughs) thought their candidate would be like. And I, and I always point to this, like don't pick someone because you just say, well, that person has to be like me because that is the, you know, what I think of, of, as the elected official, it is like actually pay attention to what people are saying. Words actually matter. Look at websites. Go investigate a little bit if anyone knows who this person is, um, and then find a, your candidate and donate. Right, and um, I think you would be an amazing addition to the California Assembly. Um, it would be Thanks. sad for California women's leadership not to have you as, you know, their head honcho. But um, I know that there are tons of great women there, and you would be just a role model uh, for everyone to look up to.
0: Well, thank you. You know, you're right. Don't judge by appearances because I'm a minority woman living in California. You would automatically assume I'm a Democrat and most people do, but I've been a Republican since I was four. And I believe in limited government and a free market economy and our ability to prosper. So you might not expect those words to come out of my mouth, but they're gonna be the first ones that do. Um, we're, we're really lucky here in California to have a group like California Women's Leadership Association, um, kind of building women up and making sure that we have a seat at the table. We're great partners with our GOP chairwoman here in California. And hopefully my election and this whole cycle is a step in the right direction and we'll make much more progress in the next 30 years than we did in the last 30.
1: No, I'm so excited for that. I think we could change the narrative for our kids, which would be really nice. um, And and be able to have a more open and sincere dialogue without people just throwing bombs at each other, which would be wonderful.
0: (laughs) Yes, it was.
1: June, thank you so much for being on Political Contessa. I really appreciate it. Junecutter.com and the primary is coming up in the next two and a half, three months in California, so, uh, so look for June, please donate to her. More importantly, um, get out there and go support good women who are running for office. It is so important to have solid quality candidates that you relate to that are running for office and democracy doesn't function without a thriving two-party system. And in order to do that, we need more balance, which in our blue states, means electing more Republicans. So June, thank you so much for being with me today. I look forward to having you back as you get through the primary and are on to your general election. Stay happy, healthy, and safe. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right
0: politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com.